You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. Uh, You can watch video of this podcast on the All Things Comedy YouTube page. And now just shut your mouth, Aaron. There'll be no more demands. Wow. You heard him back there. Yeah, actually, I can sort of... Okay, yeah, yeah. I hear myself. When does the intro come in? Now... Because of my success in the private sector, I was able to become the mayor of New York's largest city. And that's just, that's just not true. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens where we used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Um, Yeah. In three, two, one. Hello, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by my friends. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffers. And uh, this is uh, the final Grubstakers of the year. We are very excited to be here with you. And uh, there's really no billionaires that we would rather spend the, uh, the last waning days of 2018 with. Then Linda and Stuart Resnick. Uh, and Linda and Stuart Resnick are essentially... Stuart Resnick is a guy who saw the movie Chinatown as a business plan and uh, <laughs> very successfully implemented it and uh, managed to become a billionaire. And that's, of course, he's a, a water farmer in California who uh, made billions of dollars off essentially subsidized or even basically free California state water. <laughs> and um, and so we'll kind of go through all... It just all, comes from the sky. Yeah. And, and we'll kind of go through all of that. Though I, I should mention, so uh, Andy like hit me up with the... Or hit us up with the idea for, for Stuart Resnick. And then I just saw like yesterday that the dollop like just did an episode on the Resnicks as well. Fuck them. So, you know, I think it would be great if we just like plagiarized them so much that we left their ad reads in. (laughs) We're like, you know what? And while we're on the subject, do you have problems waiting in line at the post office? (laughs) But uh, hopefully not too much overlap. And it is just a fascinating subject, uh, the the Resnicks. And and I guess just like a couple illustrative statistics before we kind of go through their their life story and, you know, what that all means for for the state of California and the planet. Um, According to Forbes, the Resnicks own, uh, among other companies, what's called Paramount Farms. And uh, according to Forbes magazine, they use... the pictures were taken. (laughs) They use 120 billion gallons of water a year. This is in Central Valley, California. And that uh, would be enough water to supply every single resident in San Francisco with water for a decade. Every year, that's how much they use. And uh, apparently, like, you know, farmers in California use about 80% of the water for about, like, 2% of the economic activity. But for our listeners in California, it's very important that you take a five-minute shower <laughs> and uh, turn turn the water off while you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> when you get to the water temple, just skip it. <laughs> the, the only uh, uh, non-restriction on water is you can spray homeless people with your hose for as long as you want. <laughs> You got to get them off your property somehow. Yeah, that's that's like ninety percent of Bay Area water usage is spraying people who can't afford five thousand dollar rents. Right. So, like, and it's just kind of a unique situation with California, where essentially about two thirds of rainwater in California falls in the north, and you know it has to be transported to the south. You know, for like uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, but also in the Central Valley, what was initially a desert. Uh, the water passes through there and has created like a massive agricultural boom land uh, thanks to the uh, California aqueduct in the 60s, which we'll talk about briefly. But it is just something where it's like, I mean, this is entirely an agricultural industry that's a result of state planning. And of course, if you like were to propose maybe uh, some intervention by the state in uh, this yeah. Waste of water. You would have uh, uh, all the Milton Friedman types up in your face. Yeah, like, al- almost all of the market governance basically is facilitated by the state, wouldn't you say? 
for yes. the water market in California. Yeah, and I mean, and by extension, pistachios and all this, all the good stuff. Right. So, like, you know, uh, just one more illustrative statistic: it takes a gallon of water to grow one pistachio or one almond, <laughs> and so it's like. And and the, these things are so water intensive, and we'll get into the pistachios in particular. But these things are so water intensive because essentially they you have to like um, plant these uh, trees and make like a major investment in the in the trees for them, and they have to be watered constantly. So even in drought season, you can't just like leave them alone one year, let them die, and then replant. You have to like put decades of water in every year even in drought season. So it's it's a major uh, water investment, you know, paid for not only by, you know, California taxpayers, but just taken away from uh, people uh, without clean drinking water. Uh, according to the doc- I mean, you say that now, but just wait until you want a shitty version of soy milk. <laughs> <laughs> according to the documentary Water and Power, uh, there are one million plus people in California without access to clean drinkable water. The only people in the world without access <laughs> to clean, drinkable water. Yep. That's but, right. That's right, folks. This problem is contained solely to <laughs> the geographic region under discussion today. Uh, thank God we live in New York, huh? Yeah. Won't be seeing any of these problems. Oh, uh, yeah. Not until our uh, single pipeline from 500 miles upstate finally... Uh, collapses in on itself in three years it would be great if just to fuck with us and uh jeff bezos starts a pistachio farm at hq2 <laughs> like not only am i t- driving up your rents i'm going to take all of your water <laughs> and there is nothing you can do about it the amazon packages come with like middle fingers and <laughs> they're all like dripping wet but there's no clean water anywhere in our houses so and people it, will like <laughs> suck water out of the bottom of amazon packages we and at, at the cere- at the ceremony like de blasio just hands him a water bottle with a big bow on it and thanks him for bringing jobs <laughs> to new york i'm imagining like you know mad max where there's all like the the thirsty people like begging <laughs> jeff bezos to release water down on them yeah that's definitely how jeff bezos is gonna age <laughs> he's gonna have that mask thing <laughs> it is fascinating in that uh the the pistachio industry that they've built is entirely a result of uh, jimmy carter's iran sanctions um <laughs> I guess, like, just to kind of give you that quick story before we start from the beginning, essentially, Iran was the big uh, pistachio exporter in the world up until, you know, I mean, it still is, but it was the major one to the United States up until 1979, where, of course, the Iranian Revolution happened. Jimmy Carter put sanctions on Iran. And what Stuart Resnick uh, and, you know, his, his wife, Linda Resnick, recognized is that there was a, a market opportunity here because... They- People love weird nuts <laughs> that you can't bite into if they're not cracked, at least partially. Yeah, they uh, they recognize that, you know, as long as the uh, forever war goes on, people will buy the uh, pistachio ice cream from them. <laughs> but so, uh, essentially, there was not really a U.S. Uh, there was not major U.S. pistachio pr- production until the Iran sanctions came along. We thought the Shah was going to live forever. <laughs> we thought the Iranians liked getting tortured for no reason. Just a couple other uh, illustrative statistics, and then we'll start from the beginning here. Uh, the Resnicks, Stuart and Linda Resnick, are worth about $5.6 billion, according to Forbes. Uh, they have about 70,000 acres of pistachios and almonds. They have about 48,000 acres of citrus, you know, oranges, pomegranates. Uh, We mentioned Paramount Farms. Paramount Farms owns sun-kissed oranges. They own Fiji water, which we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, They own the Palm Wonderful brand. And uh, according to, I believe, their own estimates, about half of American households buy their products. So they're, you know, you really just can't avoid giving these people money. And uh, it is just kind of like one part of their global empire where they're uh, uh, taking water from the people of Fiji from their uh, military dictatorship. And um, I guess to kind of start from the beginning. It is it is kind of great that they're, um, the couple is, they're fairly prolific uh, Democratic donors. 
and most of their business comes from working with dictatorships. Very out of character for Democratic donors. Not what you'd expect. And so, basically, to kind of start from the beginning of the story, uh, Stuart Resnick's born 1936 in uh, New Jersey. Um, and I read uh, a short book by La- Yasha Levine. It's called A Journey Through Oligarch Valley for like a dollar on Amazon. I recommend if you're just kind of curious about, you know, how California got to be this way. But according to him, uh, Yasha, basically, um, Stuart Resnick's dad was like a bar owner in New Jersey. <laughs> who was, like, a drunk and a gambler who, like, you know, made decent money but also, like, lost it on gambling and stuff. But uh, apparently his dad also had ties to the Jewish mob, Stuart Resnick (laughs) does. And that'll, like, basically there's, like, a small organized crime part to Stuart Resnick's story, but I don't know how much (laughs) you can actually tie him to that. But uh, I'll get right back to that in a second. But, um... Uh, just like one quote from Stuart Resnick about his father, quote, my father was a great negative role model. The lessons I got from him were all what not to do. <laughs> um, and that's what... <laughs> Respect people's water rights. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I noticed when my dad was behind the bar, he kept giving water to people <laughs> instead of taking it away from them. But... Uh, my yes. dad said sanctions ultimately hurt people <laughs> more than help. Great example of what not to do, yeah. My dad was like, you know, ratcheting up the tension with Iran and, you know, belligerently promoting uh, a neoconservative foreign policy and uh, funding think tanks that promote <laughs> false flag attacks in the United States in order to, <laughs> to in order to spark a war with Iran is ultimately counterproductive for any sort of agricultural benefit. That drunken idiot. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, so like his dad, you know, uh, a drunk gambler, loses a lot of money, uh, is a bad influence on Stuart Resnick. Didn't know when to hold them or fold them. <laughs> Opposed sanctions against Iran. <laughs> just all around idiot. My dad was telling me about how the UN mandate of 1948 <laughs> clearly establishes Israel's <laughs> borders and that expansion beyond that is clearly in violation of international law. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, you've been hitting the Jack Daniels too much tonight, Dad. Uh, yeah, Israel be, has a right to defend itself. <laughs> there'd be nights when my dad would come home drunk and just lecture us on the rights of Israel pre-1948. <laughs> my dad said, uh, one gallon of water for one almond is clearly too much. <laughs> but so... Basically, you know, he's trying to get out of the household. Originally, Stuart Resnick is going to college in uh, at Rutgers, but um, he transfers to UCLA at the age of, of 18. And so, um, uh, basically what happens at UCLA, at 1955, he goes to UCLA. And uh, again, this is from The Dollop. I didn't listen to all the episode, but thanks, you guys, for the research. But basically, he meets a, um, a, a, a friend at um at ucla one of he's in a fraternity stuart resnick's in a fraternity and one of his frat brothers his dad has a janitorial company (laughs) which is like yeah i mean this is how connections work you know you're just like yeah man my dad's got a janitorial company (laughs) uh you know in between like surfing and you know pounding the brewskis he's like yeah my dad uh he pays for everything (laughs) Yeah, you pounding know, the broskies. Pounding the broskies. That's how you see the initiation. But so, um, yeah, so his frat brother has, you know, this janitorial company. And uh, what, what happens is Stuart Resnick um, and uh, his, his, his frat brother, they like originally start working for this guy's dad. But what Stuart Resnick and him do is they buy like um, some cleaning equipment from this guy's father, obviously for cheap. And uh, they start their own janitorial company while he's still in college at UCLA. And then eventually, Stuart Resnick actually buys out his frat brother because they're making enough money to the point where uh, he graduates UCLA in 1960. He's making about 40000 a year, which adjusted for inflation is about $320,000 as soon as he's a college graduate. Fuck. So, like, you know, 
he managed to kind of hustle his way into like a decent uh, uh, paycheck, you know, even out of college. And, you know, so he goes on to UCLA Law School. He's still running. <laughs> we just going to do it two more times. We just got a shipment of pomegranates. That's nice. That's so good. That's good pistachio. My cat feeder uh, plays You Know You're Right by Kurt Cobain. Oh, she's here. Cats here. Um, but so getting back to the story. So basically, uh, as we mentioned, he starts up this uh, this janitorial company, and um, he's making money. Uh, it's it's doing very well. He eventually sells this cleaning business for about two point five million dollars. And what he does is he starts a security company because he realizes, you know, like a lot of the places that he's contracted out to clean don't really have security. So he starts a security company. And uh, this is where things get kind of interesting because uh, this is from Oligarch Valley. Basically, the company was highly connected. It employed former Secret Service agents for and for a time was run by a former LAPD chief of police. <laughs> and uh, as we all know, the LAPD, notoriously not <laughs> corrupt organization throughout the 70s, 80s, up to the present. Um, and so what happens is he's running this security business in the 70s, and they get a bunch of... We need some bleach. Um, get rid of the guy we hired to kill Biggie. <laughs> It was like uh, he he made the the fake reports, uh, <laughs> the the fake timesheets to cover for the guy who assassinated Biggie. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, we'll uh, we'll let you take over this public water bank. You just have to cover up the help us cover up the murder of this rapper." I'm still struggling with how he became like you know an average frat brother, and then bought some equipment. Right, and then so like only a few years later, was earning the equivalent of three hundred thousand per year. Well, you know the booming sixties, or I guess like yeah, he goes to UCLA nineteen fifty five. He graduates nineteen sixty. I mean, it is like the best time in, in in the American economy. You know, the best time to start your own business. You know that like <laughs> condescending advice: start your own business. It's like, <laughs> yeah, just do it in the middle of like the biggest expansion in uh, economic <laughs> history. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, hard work, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, <laughs> you know, knowing a rapist with the right dad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all our flat, frat brother listeners. <laughs> but so basically it's like what happens is, uh, we mentioned this company's, you know, highly connected. He's got like the LAPD chief of police working there. Uh, running it for a time and so what they get is they get a very lucrative contract for the security for lax this is in the was the guy simultaneously the lapd chief of police uh, the former oh, lapd former. Okay. chief of police was running it for a minute and uh they get this very lucrative lucrative contract in the 70s for uh lax the airport uh security and this kind of goes on until 1976 uh three of their agents three of their security agents at lax are busted uh, trying to sell two pounds of China white heroin to an undercover officer. And so there's like a federal investigation into this. He says, you know, oh, these three employees, you know, these were rotten apples or whatever, selling two pounds of heroin, uh, you know, while they're working for my company. But they apparently told investigators that they like had access to like hundreds of pounds of heroin and they were like bringing this in through commercial airlines. And so there's a federal investigation. He's ultimately... Well, that answers your question, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> How did he go from a guy with some janitorial equipment to... some equipment and also five pounds of heroin. <laughs> yeah. You see, um, while he was out there, he met a man who was bringing it in on the caskets of service members <laughs> from Vietnam. <laughs> he met Denzel Washington in Hollywood. <laughs> And uh, this meeting would change his life. But basically, there's a federal investigation, and they don't really link him to any of this. But it's very suspicious. And it is just kind of something where it's like we mentioned, his dad had, like, Jewish Jewish mob organized crime ties. So you don't know if he was at all linked to any sort of organized crime organization. But it's just kind of We're just asking questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But it is nice that at least he was working with a less water-intensive crop for a time. 
he was doing much less damage to the people of California when he was bringing in China <laughs> White by the fucking pound. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure it's much healthier than black tar. <laughs> Does not help with erectile dysfunction, though. Environmentally conscious from a young age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He Forget went into it. Heroin trafficking. Forget it, Jake. It's China White. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, basically. Uh, partly as a result of this investigation, he sells the security company. Again, this uh, investigation, 1976, is when these agents get busted, and then this is right around the time that he switches to agriculture. So he's actually able to make like a decent multi-million dollar fortune before he even touches California agriculture and starts robbing the state blind. <laughs> but like you know, apparently he like got after this security guard company. He also sells like an alarm company for I think like a hundred million, and so, you know, multi-millionaire, but what he does in 1978, you know, it's the Carter, it's the stagflation, where, you know, the country, it's it's not mourning in America yet. People are losing these these vast fortunes that they have exploited through uh, the stagflation and, you know, the, the malaise, as it's called. Uh, but so, basically, what happens is in 1978, he buys up, um, I believe, what is it, 250 acres, 2,500 acres, yeah, 2,500 acres of uh, orange trees in uh, Kern County, California. And uh, he says at the time that he was just buying this up to park money for against inflation. He was buying real estate to, to protect his investment right. from inflation in 1978. And it's an interesting thing where this, this land that he buys, you know, he buys the first purchase in 1978, but he's buying more land throughout the 80s. Uh, this first purchase essentially is in an area with no groundwater. So it's... His farming empire would become, you know, later he would buy some places with groundwater. But at least initially, he buys places with no groundwater, entirely depending on the state to provide him with water. And um, what essentially happens, and and I guess we should mention, he marries his wife, Linda Resnick, in 1974. She was the daughter of a a movie producer, grew up very wealthy. Uh, This is the guy who produced the Blob movie. Uh, She also... Owned an ad agency on Melrose Avenue, which interesting uh, anecdote about her. She was dating Aaron Russo, which was the guy who helped Daniel Ellsberg copy the Pentagon Papers. Yeah. So apparently uh, they she was dating this guy, Aaron Russo, and he took Daniel Ellsberg to her copy shop uh, for her ad agency because she had a Xerox machine which, you know, they were rare at the time. And so they copied all the Pentagon papers at her ad agency, even to the point where, like, at one point a security guard showed up and she was there and was like, no, it's all fine. Yeah, yeah, Ellsberg Ellsberg is very uh, complimentary of her. She helped a bit, too, materially. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Like with the declassifying or something like that? Right, she, like, clipped the top secret thing off. Oh, off the top of them? Yeah. And uh, she continued this... um, anti-establishment this informed her later yeah you know it was my work on the pentagon papers that really (laughs) made me believe in the need for a war with iran (laughs) but yes so daniel ellsberg showed up in the pop copy that i was working at (laughs) (laughs) that's when it really began Daniel Ellsberg pounds his fist on the table and he's like, those Pentagon bastards are only using half a gallon of water per (laughs) nut. (laughs) But yeah, so that's, you know, a random anecdote. But of course, she would uh, break up or uh, break up with this guy, Aaron Russo, and uh, uh, they would get married. Linda and Stuart Resnick get married in 1974. And as we mentioned, she had like, you know, a marketing agency and um, she would help, you know, much of the marketing of um, Stuart Resnick's crops so you know they're a power couple as it were but basically they buy up these citrus groves 1978 1979 Jimmy Carter puts the sanctions on Iran and so just again quoting from Oligarch Valley here um, the uh, Resnick's see a massive opportunity they begin to snap up thousands of acres from uh, Mobile Oil and Texaco because they own these uh, plots in California, originally to drill for oil, but they're actually like, their timing's pretty good because they're able to buy up all this land during drought season where it's like unusually cheap. Um, And eventually they uh, are able to, by the 1980s, they have over 100,000 acres, you know, growing cotton, pistachio, almonds, oranges, lemons, grapefruits. 
Uh, but they, you know, didn't just grow the crops. They package, process, distribute them as well. It's from Oligarch Valley. And they're like, man, yeah. nobody has any water. This looks like an opportunity. Just like out of out of habit, Stuart Resnick <laughs> sells the crops uh, in by uh, shipping them in the graves of soldiers killed in the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> in the fucking caskets, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, but so, and one more quote from uh, 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 Oligarch Valley, the book. Pretty hardcore if he shipped them in the graves. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a tunnel going under <laughs> Arlington <laughs> Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. It goes, uh, the tunnel that Stuart Resnick built goes under Arlington Cemetery. It stops at Comet Ping Pong and then it goes on to Central <laughs> yeah, Valley, Yeah, there's like California. a French catacombs. <laughs> <laughs> underneath his land in california it's yeah. like you want heroin or you want to fuck the dead troops <laughs> uh so just quoting from uh, uh oligarch valley paramount farming is the country's largest grower processor and marketer of pistachios controlling something like 60 percent of the industry pistachios are very important to the resnicks bringing at least 20 percent of their agricultural revenue and uh, again, this is an industry entirely possible because of the Iran sanctions, but also the fact that they get all of this heavily subsidized California water. And, you know, water's like a big part of their story from here on. We can talk about what's called the Kern County Water Bank. So water in California is very confusing and, and complicated. And um, it, it's, it's fascinating where, like, it's entirely it's three hydrogen and two <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> it's entirely like built that way to just keep the average person from understanding. It's very much, you know, Wall Street uh, jargon lingo. And uh, did we mention like shut up and take a five minute shower? <laughs> and did we mention it? Did, uh, did I mention at the top about nationalizing? Yeah, I mean, like, essentially, I was talking about it before we started recording, but it is fascinating to me where. You know, if you want, like, a hope of having, say, stopping climate change, uh, reversing inverted totalitarianism, restoring democracy, as a first step in the United States, you have to nationalize, basically, all of Wall Street. You have to nationalize, basically, every weapons uh, manufacturer and producer in the United States. You have to manu uh, nationalize every major energy company. And it's like, you kind of lose hope because you realize we can't even nationalize water. Like, water <laughs> in California has essentially gone from the state to the private sector. And the story of that is, you know, it's it's long, it's complicated, but the long and short... I mean, if you nationalize water, someone might abuse it. Judge <laughs> <laughs> you the commons, anyone? <laughs> so, the, the long and short of how Stuart Resnick is able to uh, become a major private water owner and producer is uh, in the 1960s, uh, uh, Jerry Brown's father, Governor Pat Brown's, uh, sets up the uh, uh, California Aqueduct, again, moves water from the north of California to the south of California, but that just so happens to pass through the Central Valley, where the you know all the farmers are located. So it's like a very big boon to major agribusiness in the Central Valley. However, um, the state allocated guaranteed water rights throughout the Central Valley in the 1960s, but this wasn't always based on reality. So what happened is, um, uh, again, this is from the uh, book Oligarch Valley, uh, they weren't always able to deliver what they said they would based on these 1960s projections because, of course, there were drought years and all this kind of stuff. So they were constantly in like various legal battles with you know uh, uh, these growers in the Central Valley, which uh, by the... 80s included Stuart Resnick because he bought into this stuff during the drought. So they have in 1994 what's called the Monterey Amendments, which are a secret agreement. But basically, what happens is in 1994, Stuart Resnick's representative, uh, a man, came into town and said, "A uh, town with money is like a mule with a spinning wheel. <laughs> no one knows how it got there, and damned if it knows how to use it." So. What happens in 1994, though I should mention, so uh, uh, California uh, in the, I believe the 80s, sets up what's called the Kern County Water Bank. Did Kern you say the dawn in America? <laughs> uh, the Kern County Water Bank is essentially the idea is it's a public resource where they would store water during uh, wet seasons so they have access for drought. But Kern County in California, again in the Central Valley, 
is so corrupt and so controlled by agribusiness that what they did was they refused to ever give final approval to let um, the state of California finish this water bank. So the state of California puts in about $74 million to this water bank, but they can't finish it. So 1994, we get this secret meeting for the Monterey Amendments. And uh, among other things, again, Stuart Resnick's uh, representative is here, but they agree on a few different things. One of them is they end the idea that during droughts, urban areas receive preference. Because up to 1994, if there was a drought, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they would receive preference over farmers. You know, the farmers would have to cut back. Whereas now they go, no, it's, you know, equal. Or, you know, major <laughs> agribusiness gets first dip at the water. Uh, that was one important thing. But the other very important thing is essentially the Kern County Water Bank is moved from the state, public resource, to Kern County Municipality and a couple other um, local counties, as well as a private company entirely controlled by Stuart Resnick. And again, these, these county um, uh, contractors for water are so corrupt that they, through a series of shell companies, put majority control of the Kern County Water Bank into the hands of Stuart Resnick, one private individual. So essentially, it's a very... Uh, Again, this was a non-public meeting. Also, the third thing, uh, Kurt Cobain has grown too powerful <laughs> and must be eliminated. But so basically, the uh, this Kern County Water Bank, capable of storing 500 billion gallons of water, is backdoor privatized in 1994. And Stuart Resnick is able to make a killing on off this. Like um, He's able to, I believe in 2001, make about $50 million, essentially selling water back to the state. He gets water from the state, and then as soon as it enters his Kern County water bank, it's privatized. So now it's private water. He's able to sell it back to the state at three or four times markup. You know, so it's, it's wait. He gets it from the state and then sells it back to the state. Yes, you know, it's it's like treasuries or something. Wait, he's water arbitraging. Basically, <laughs> yes. Oh <my. laughs> um, and then the one other thing that, that happens, well, there's other things that happen here, but the, another significant thing is what's, the, what's called, quote, paper water is created here in 1994. So basically up to 1994, if you wanted to start, say, a new development, part of California law was that you had to have secure water access to your new development for residential condos or whatever the fuck. But uh, in 1994, they allow developers to essentially purchase, quote, paper water from any farmer or whatever. So if you want to build some bullshit, you can just say, oh, I this farmer sold me paper water, uh, so I have water access now. So it's water and, on paper. Exactly. And it's uh, theoretically backed by the state of California, though, of course, in drought season, you can't always get the water. But this is very lucrative because, again, it allows a lot of people, including Stuart Resnick, to say they are farmers, and Stuart Resnick is a farmer, but to essentially just become water salespeople because they will just like set up an orchard and then they have, you know, whatever water rights they have in this area and then they can resell them to developers. So like um, there's a, there was like a, a major development in uh, I believe the Redwoods, uh, California, just north of San Francisco where they bought like uh, a huge amount, like a 70-year lease of water rights from Stuart Resnick's Kern County Water Bank. And, you know, again, this is all state water. It's just being privatized and resold to developers. So basically, this is 1994, and this is like so significant uh, for, his, uh, for his business that Stuart Resnick, after this 1994 meeting, nearly doubles his cultivated land holdings in three years after 1994. So from 94 to 1997, he almost doubles his cultivated land holdings. And uh, then he's able to become a major Democratic Party donor. <laughs> Though he, he donates to both sides, but he's been, you know, very smart. He's a like, fan of bipartisanship. Yes, exactly. This is really what's made him a billionaire. This 1994 agreement where he got in on the ground floor of, uh, uh, of land in California during the drought season. And then he took advantage of the fact that California law is completely fucked up when it comes to water <laughs> and managed to sign a secret agreement 
with various state agencies. Oh, and then the most fascinating thing about this was essentially any, uh, California law requires that any kind of major agreement like this ha- go through an environmental review. And so the participants at the meeting knew if they just like put it to a traditional state agency, they might like take a look at this and say, oh, this is going to kill salmon. Or they might just say, oh, this is clearly just a shell game to privatize a, uh, a public resource. So instead, they kick it to one of the completely corrupt counties to just conduct this like complete sham environmental review. And it's been you know tied up in um, legal battles ever since. But essentially, what's been happening is de facto, it is still the law of the land <laughs> that the Kern County Water Bank was completely privatized uh, with no public input or anybody <laughs> knowing what was going on. But I guess, like, from there, you know... You Wait, just... Democrats like to do that in the 90s? Uh, and then from there, you just kind of, like, get through uh, uh, various random uh, things that they've gone through, the Resnicks. Again, you know, they become billionaires in the 90s. Um, according to the book Oligarch Valley, they spend a lot of time in their home in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, they... In the early 2000s, the Resnicks fought a legal battle against Aspen over an affordable housing project for local municipal employees. The Resnicks complained that the project, just half a mile from their Little Lake Lounge property, would devalue their land. (laughs) So, you know, these people who definitely have never benefited from the government would not like the government to make affordable housing. But so from the 1990s, this is what makes them, allows them to become billionaires. Uh, though I guess we should just minor detour. In 1986, they buy Franklin Mint uh, from their <laughs> former well. And so they're like, you know, selling commemorative coins and shit. And uh, interestingly enough, they are sued by the estate of Princess Diana because they're selling, you know, this Princess Diana merchandise, but they actually successfully countersue the estate of Princess Diana. Uh, <laughs> I think they get like $25 million from it. Um, <laughs> but, you know. So, anti-royalism all the way, huh? You know uh, how they uh, pitch, pitch this idea? <laughs> so they're woke in a way. <laughs> what, they, what they said when they were um, deciding to make this acquisition. Ironically enough, when Elton John sang that tribute song, he had Fiji water on stage. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so... It was Ben Foltz, but yes. (laughs) Uh, No, Candle in the Wind. But anyways... The point is, uh, this is, you know, what allows them to become billionaires in the 90s. And, you know, the Franklin Mint is a good investment for them. But it's really just been kind of California's agricultural wealth. And as we've mentioned, they're, you know, selling back private water to both developers and the state in times of drought. And this is water that's a state. Like, we like ripping off uh, large metropolitan areas and their dependence on water. But our real passion is ripping off dumb people with commemorative coins of Princess Diana. <laughs> really, we're ripping, anti-monarchists. Ripping off core. American royalists. <laughs> but like the real engine of their wealth, it seems, is <laughs> like exploiting a complicated public-private partnership mm-hmm. over water in California. Right. And it yeah, allows but- them. That's like generate. That's allows them to do the like the. The Franklin Mint bullshit. The theme, right. of, the theme of this like podcast seems to be that that's like how ninety percent of billionaires get their wealth is exploiting a public-private partnership. <laughs> yeah, I mean, billionaires essentially exist at like some choke point in the economy, mm-hmm. or they've just managed to like infiltrate the state. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yes, like, and, and we've mentioned here, but the San Joaquin Valley is a fucking desert. There was like a Civil War era survey. 
that said essentially that the uh, San Joaquin Valley was, an, uh, the surveyor said the San Joaquin Valley was an inhospitable desert unsuitable for agriculture. That's from the Mercury News. So again, it's like this entirely, their empire exists because uh, California in the 60s set up this aqueduct and then ever since then has been accommodating uh, this major agribusiness uh, oh, at the expense of the public who now have to take 30-second showers. <laughs> and so just kind of like going through, I guess, the greatest hits of the Resnicks and uh, uh, what they've been up to. Uh, as we've kind of mentioned, they are major boosters of uh, sanctions on Iran because of the pistachio empire. Uh, apparently, like uh, Iranian pistachios are so good that even in Israel, uh, even though Israel has sanctions on Iran, people will vastly prefer Iranian pistachios to American pistachios. Uh, and so they will often buy them imported from Turkey where they've been like relabeled so they don't know that they're Iranian, but everybody knows they're Iranian. Guys, uh if you want, if you have connections mm-hmm. to the Iranian pistachio market, shoot us an email. <laughs> we'll send you Sean's address and send us. Uh, I, I want to try these pistachios. <laughs> I think Jimmy Fallon should start hawking Iranian pistachios <laughs> just to take a shot at Stephen Colbert. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so like Stuart Resnick and uh, his wife, Linda, again, this- Wait, from, oh, Colbert has his, his pistachio ice cream. Right. Well, he also did the Super Bowl ad for the Resnick's uh, pistachio company. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That pistachios. Remember where he opens <laughs> his head and there's a pistachio in there? That's for their pistachio company. And then he does a dance with Henry Kissinger? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Henry, you and I don't agree on everything. But when it comes to destroying Iran's nuclear capability (laughs) through a military force. Uh, But so, again, from the book Oligarch Valley, Stuart, Resnick, and Linda, uh, they're in a bunch of different think tanks that advocate war with Iran. They're like board members. So they're trustees of the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, which is an APAC spinoff in the 80s. I believe uh, one guy who worked for that advocated essentially a false flag attack on the United States in order to provoke <laughs> war with Iran. Um, it also... Uh, yeah, Because a, a different think tank already got 9-11. <laughs> it calls for uh, heavy sanctions and military strikes against Iran. Um, the Resnick Foundation gave $20,000 to the Washington Institute uh, for Near East Policy. Uh, we don't know the full amount that they uh, give, but again, they're trustees. Uh, Stuart Resnick is also a board member of the American Friends of IDC, which is a fundraising arm uh, for a think tank with close links to Israeli intelligence and the military establishment, where uh, Sheldon Adelson is also a board member. So again, we don't know how much they're just like very much believers in the state of Israel, but they are clearly giving money to causes trying to provoke war with Iran. Uh, uh, These think tanks were major supporters of Obama's 2009 era sanctions. And... um, uh, the author of um, the author of Oligarch Valley, Yasha Levine, went to like a pistachio farmers con- uh, conference in California, and he actually documented like how much of it was just about like Iran and sanctions on Iran, and actually going through like how pistachio revenues in the United States have been linked to like periods of greater tension with Iran. <laughs> you know, so it's just like this kind of like dry farmers conflict uh, conference where they're also like, yeah, you know. Let's get more war. <laughs> Stephen Colbert is going to go from the White House Correspondents' Dinner m- talking about how there are no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq to just outright advocating for war with Iran. Yeah, Stephen Colbert is... Uh... <laughs> he had Jeff Flake on the other day. Oh, did he? Yeah, to um, talk about how terrible it was that Trump was going to shut down the government. Yeah, if the government shut down, you can't go to war with Iran. <laughs> Funnily enough, but, you still could, though. Yeah. Yeah, the like if there's a government, it's an interesting distinction between, uh, like, well, the government shut down, but the state is still going strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, the military. St- yeah. yeah, so there's, like, essential you know, yeah. activities. All a shutdown means is that, like, you can't go to the national parks this week. Yeah, well, all the shit, you know, normal people might yeah. enjoy or need. And, you know, maybe you won't get your social security check. <laughs> 
But that's our uh, grub stakers big Wall Street tip of the week. You know, like when tensions with Iran mount up, all the dumb investors are going to be running after the weapons companies. But you, the smart grub stakers listeners, know, get in the pistachio business. <laughs> yeah. But they have actually been very also a uh, periodic reminder that uh-huh. we are um, all on the best brokers app competing mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I recommend that you all join and uh, message us so you can compete with us. And let's see, currently leading um, the best brokers game with negative 4.20% nice uh, is Grubstakers Andy. Because I dumped all my stocks and invested in the dollar because the euro, um, which is the denomination in this game, Uh is, uh, well, Europe's doing worse than America right now. Well, ironically enough, when America crashes the economy, the dollar goes up because it's considered a, a safe currency. Hell yeah. So, you know. I like how each of us have taken turns trying to gloat that we're on top <laughs> yeah, of, Steven, the, of Steven, the game. Steven was on top for like five months, and now he's uh, a fourth mm-hmm. at negative right, 14. comes at you fast. <laughs> and, and, and our friend Andy Miller workers. is the um, short seller king with negative 77.90%. <laughs> But so back to the Resnicks, because I do want to get through kind of like some of their other uh, crimes in addition to, uh, oh, and uh, one other thing. Uh, they, uh, the Resnick Their Foundation. crime is caring too much about the Iranian people. <laughs> they want democracy in Iran. <laughs> the uh, Resnick Foundation funneled $1.125 million to the American Jewish Committee in a five-year span between 99 and 2004. The American Jewish Committee is, of course, also rather hawkish on the Iranian question. So, again, you don't know where the ideology begins, but it just so happens to line up completely with their farming interests. And um, so we should just kind of, like, mention a couple of the greatest hits here. Uh, The Lost Hills in California is what is essentially a Resnick company town. Uh, The Resnick's got some bad press there because most of their farm workers live in Lost Hills, or a lot of them do. And uh, it's a terrible place with, you know, uh, very little clean water access uh and so there was like a lot of bad press so they like went there the resnicks did and they opened a park they built some roads <laughs> and then they did like a promotional video where linda resnick looks at the cameras like i just thought about what can i do to give back Sweet. which is of course like you know peel off like a hundredth or a thousandth <laughs> of all of the money you've exploited from these people and just dump it back to them in the did you read the mother jones article i didn't read all them of it, no. uh there's she said she went to a conference uh held by this like this famous um harvard political scientist who asked like you know is known for asking provocative questions or whatever mm-hmm. and he was like if you if you could live in a town where everything was literally perfect except the fact that you all knew that somewhere hidden there was a child being tortured <laughs> would you be able to do that basically mm-hmm. torture the child no just oh, live have knowledge. Just live there and have knowledge that somewhere it was going on. And she was like, oh, I just couldn't bear that. And okay. so that was supposed to be like her like philosophical awakening that they should build roads and have... Either know. she's never met uh, Jeffrey Epstein or she's lying. <laughs> I like that that was her so, awakening that made her want to go to war with Iran. Yeah, so she <laughs> lives save in, the children living the in this sense. imperfect world as yes. we are. Yes. And where there are the equivalent of many children being tortured. <laughs> um, you know, she's doing what she can, basically. Mm-hmm. By the way, if anyone well, still has sitting any... sitting on $5.6 billion. If anyone has any Rand Corporation documents uh-huh. on um, preparations to gin up fake conflict to invade Iran... Uh, I think I know someone who might be willing to help you uh, photocopy those documents uh, to leak them to the public. Maybe that was her contribution to the Monterey Amendments in 1994, is she cut all the top secret off the top (laughs) of the documents. Uh, But so, yes. Now with the Iran stuff, she's taping it back on. So Lost Hills, California is, again, essentially a Resnick company town, but they made this big show of like their investment there. But uh, the documentary Water and Power, it's available on Netflix. I recommend it. They went there, I believe, in 2016, and uh, they interviewed some people there. And the water in the area is still not drinkable. 
The water has arsenic in it. People will take showers and it smells like chlorine. The water has chlorine, bleach in it. Children will say they won't shower in the water. And again, this is like right next to their field of fucking uh, pistachio trees that are drowning in water. And the California aqueduct throws flows right through the town, bringing water from the north of California to their crops instead of to the people who live right there. And the residents have to pay like, you know, average, you know, 70 bucks a month for water that's completely not drinkable and not usable. <laughs> and so again, like, hello for- America. The folks at Wonderful Pistachios have asked me to help sell their <laughs> But come on. They're wonderful. I'm wonderful. Uh-huh. They'll sell themselves. I think we're done. Yeah. You were good. He talks to an eagle. <laughs> I like the idea of buying a bag of pistachios and trying to squeeze the gallon of water out of each one. (laughs) (laughs) Desperately trying to feed or to uh, quench the thirst. And, you know, like... Remember when that thing came out about how, like, it was like Obama's day-to-day habits and it's like he has exactly six almonds for a snack? Oh. How much of that you think was Resnick money? Mm. (laughs) So he had six gallons of water? Yeah, yeah per day just from that little meal but they're like hey uh obama wouldn't it be great if you told the press that you eat six almonds a lot of people admire you and want to emulate you (laughs) and they won't be able to stop at six (laughs) he was like uh you know every day i prevent myself from getting palm prostate cancer (laughs) by (laughs) drinking pomegranate juice which, like, so that's the next thing. And then there's just a couple other <laughs> things. But so basically, uh, the uh, we mentioned they own Palm Wonderful. You've probably seen those little, you know, uh, uh, pomegranate juice jars, very distinct marketing. And uh, hourglass-shaped jars. They were lying all over the place about the benefits. The most fuckable bottles. They were lying all over the place about the benefits of this pomegranate juice because they happen to own these pomegranate uh, orchards. Real snake oil has curves. Yes. <laughs> like, Stuart Resnick, for his part, has had prostate cancer, and then he stated that he um, started drinking uh, pomegranate juice every day and has never had a cold since. Uh, so, of course... Champ. Yeah, I'm sure, like, the fact that he was a billionaire had nothing to do with his ability to beat prostate cancer <laughs> and they, they even lied about the instance of prostate cancer and made probably a bunch of men who are never going to get prostate cancer worry about prostate mm. cancer yeah turns out when you drink juice and seek a doctor you have a much better <laughs> odd of surviving cancer but so uh and then uh as linda resnick went on uh, martha stewart she did yes and uh it was one of the <laughs> rare occurrences where Martha Stewart has um, a bigger financial criminal <laughs> on screen with her. But the medical benefits uh, even outweigh the, the mythical benefits. Oh, they do. They do. The it, I mean, it is the magic elixir of our, of our age and of all ages. Turns and you into we a know that it helps circulation. It helps Alzheimer's. It helps all sorts of things in the body. Antioxidants. Polyphenol antioxidants off the chart. And if you know a man that you care about or you are a man make him drink eight ounces of pomegranate juice a day because what it does for prostate cancer is amazing look if you if your man likes it when you strap it on and slap his face with it and tell him he's a dirty boy before plunging it in make sure he drinks pomegranate juice to keep that prostate healthy So uh, the, they were advertising pomegranate juice as reducing the risk of heart disease, prostate cancer, erectile dysfunction, saying that they had clinical trials that proved this worked. None of that was true. Uh, the federal trade Which is a shame because even if it doesn't work for erectile dysfunction, if it helps with prostate health, <laughs> you know, there's still the back door. <laughs> Uh, the Federal Trade Commission, for their part, actually acted on this. Uh, the commission found that uh, palm marketers had made deceptive claims in 36 advertisements and promotional materials. And it was interesting. Like, I remember being in college and being a dumb college kid and reading some article on the Internet. About I remember how, you being a dumb college kid, too. <laughs> about how if you smoke uh, cigarettes... You should drink pomegranate juice to reduce your risk of lung cancer. And, of course, I just read this article somewhere and never thought, oh, this was just planted by a fucking marketer. (laughs) 
so you know i was like uh, i don't smoke anymore but i was like chain smoking in college and like drinking fucking uh palm <laughs> like that's gonna like save my life uh and you know i and millions of other americans were taken for a ride by these dastardly marketers uh like linda resnick uh but fortunately the ftc uh slapped the hammer down and said no you can't <laughs> blatantly lie about your products anymore which the Resnicks appealed all the way to the Supreme Court and then the Supreme Court didn't hear the case so the Resnicks lost by the way if you want to know what Sean was like in college imagine a 19 year old Mark Marin with vocal fry <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes and not lung cancer because I drank <laughs> pomegranate juice in between all those American uh, spirits but so you know, in addition to uh, lying about their pomegranate juice, uh, they are also, at, you know, owning a company town at Lost Hills, making lots of money off the state of California, uh, especially during drought season, where they're able to sell their water, their privatized water from their <laughs> water bank back to the state at three to four times what it costs to get it from it. Like essentially, for water, they just pay the state for transport. It's basically free. Yeah. Um, in addition to all that, uh, uh, two other things that I want to get to. I mean, uh, why would anyone charge it for water? <laughs> they uh, they bought the company Fiji Water in 2005, and it's just water's like, free. Why would you charge for water? <laughs> water is a human right for the Resnicks. Uh, they bought the company Fiji Water in 2005, and it's just interesting where it's like Fiji has a military dictatorship. And unsurprisingly, much like the state of California, there are lots of people in Fiji without access to clean water, but they're still able to like tap this aquifer in uh, Fiji and uh, uh, they ship, uh, according to Forbes, about 250 million bottles of Fiji water worldwide every year, (laughs) which, uh, you know, not like anybody else might want to be drinking that, not like there's going to be any sort of of plastic buildup or anything. Um, but this, they, this has been a boon for the arsenic industry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they uh, they had a, a slight downturn when people realized you can just get arsenic out of apple seeds. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, Steve, you took a quick look at the Fiji thing. I think, like, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the story. Like, the Fiji military dictatorship uh, put a tax on them, and they like threatened to move and laid yeah, they, off a bunch of people. Like the Fiji government wanted to impose a one third of a Fijian cent tax, mm-hmm. which is essentially nothing. Yes, on every gil- every that's le- racist. Every it's leader <laughs> leader of uh, water pumped out of this the, the aquifer they use there for their bottling, mm-hmm. and you know the Fiji water went up in arms about this, and they're like waves of. Um, basically lockouts of their facility to like to protest it and a capital strike and it actually didn't work the fiji government prevailed nice welcome to the resistance <laughs> so the, the and they were able to actually get 15 cents uh, per liter beyond like i think 150 million a year this so is this is like tanky heaven where yeah. it's like oh the military dictatorship was able to prevail over the corporation yes yeah. i think i think the lesson from this episode is we need a military junta in california <laughs> <laughs> if so, the national guard could depose jerry brown <laughs> Yeah, well, they, uh, I mean, so originally, this is a great investment still for Fiji Water. They mm-hmm. bought it from uh, David Gilmore, a, can- a Canadian millionaire, mm-hmm. uh, for $50 million, and it averages about $85 million in sales, $85 million in sales a year since 2009. And what yeah. was that thing about Ohio that we were talking about before the oh, show? Oh, Cleveland. They, like, advertised it like it doesn't, the water doesn't come from Cleveland. Was that the slogan? Yeah, they said. Um, hold on a second. the The slogan was. The label says Fiji because it's not bottled in Cleveland, implying that Cleveland's water system was somehow more impure or worse quality. <laughs> and uh, some scientists did like some testing on it, and found that there are higher levels of arsenic in Fiji water, in as opposed to Cleveland's water system. <laughs> and Fiji water did its own study. And it still found that there was some arsenic in there, but it was nearly <laughs> not nearly as high as what the Cleveland the scientists claimed. So yay! <laughs> it sounds like Cleveland rocks. Indeed. 
They have the uh, the special Fiji bottles that they sell to their workers with the extra arsenic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, and then the other uh, quick story here is essentially what's ha- the other part of California water law. And again, there's a lot of it. There are plenty of people who have become billionaires off of either just inheriting California farmland or in the case of the Resnicks buying into it and exploiting this. So we will have future opportunities to talk about the ridiculous state of California water law. But one other little part of this is California dating back to, I believe, the 1800s has a very uh, not really relevant or let's say not applicable to the current world anymore state of water law where essentially if you own a piece of property you have complete right to groundwater beneath that property like you can drill it up and then now that california has quote paper water and the ability to resell water essentially you can pretend to be a farmer buy up your land right and then just drill into the water and then you are a private company that sells water now so uh jerry brown has signed a law that will do away with this but it doesn't fully become implemented for another 20 years. <laughs> so you still have people, including the Resnicks, uh, uh, scrambling to essentially tap all the water in California out <laughs> of the ground. So just uh, one example, um, again, from the Water and Power documentary, is there's a, um, a winery called Paso Robles um, in California. And uh, this has been uh, heavily invested in by both uh, by not only the Resnicks but also several Wall Street firms, Harvard University. Fascinatingly enough, you know, it's not <laughs> enough to like destroy uh, the world through their uh, foreign policy graduates, <laughs> but they want it to go right to the source and uh, 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 you know dehydrate the entire state of California. But so they buy up this winery, and what happened was this winery just so happens to be at the deepest part of the aquifer for the entire area of California. So because by the law for like another 20 years, they have access to all this groundwater, they can just drink the milkshake for the surrounding areas. They can drill down and get all this water, and then uh, none of the surrounding farms will have any more water and that's, you know, what's currently going on right now. <laughs> and it's interesting. You also have essentially the ground. 90% of that water is uh, consumed by Paul Giamatti pouring it in the form of wine in a bucket onto <laughs> his face. So you also have what's called subsistence or subsidence, which is the ground sinking. So they, you know, take all this groundwater out of this aquifer and then the ground around it starts to sink because it's partly resting on that water. <laughs> so you have like entire areas of California that are like falling several feet every year, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and which will pose no problems for, you know, infrastructure or all that. But it's like, you know, the Resnicks, uh, they, they've started scaling back their pistachio and almond uh, empire because, as we mentioned, they're taking like 120 billion gallons a year. And I think, like, you can't really address California's so-called water problem without starting with the fact that California probably should not be exporting pistachios at all. You know, but pistachios and almonds are like the heavy water consumers, and this is a private industry where all the profits are going to private individuals like the Resnicks uh, with state subsidized water that's, you know, completely unnecessary. So you have to like start with the pistachios and almonds. But the ultimate question is like, yeah, water is a human right and a public resource. And uh, before we can nationalize Wall Street, I think we need to nationalize water and make it a public good. But you know what? That's just me as an apologist for the Iranian regime (laughs) (laughs) talking about how the Republican Guard, how it's a good thing that they hang gay people in Tehran. Tangentially, there's uh, a big controversy about um, UCB Mm -hmm. uh, having to lay off about eight different workers. They don't pay their performers uh, and the business is being run into the ground. But in their defense, Amy Poehler... uh, one of the uh, owners of UCB needs that money to fund her uh, 170,000 gallons that she uses to uh, water her property. She uses 170,000 gallons? Yeah, it, so much it made Business Insider in 2016 in the midst of the California drought. What does she do with all that? Um, Feminism. <laughs> 
Somebody... She's a girl boss. <laughs> Lean in. Yeah, she yeah. leans in. She was like, no, but you see, my neighbor was yes-anding me with their water consumption, so I had to keep <laughs> going, you know? Sean, in terms of Magic the Gathering, uh-huh. what would you call the Resnick's blue deck that he's built up? <laughs> it's like... Is it like he's just went full... Like 59, yeah, 59 islands, and then like <laughs> everybody else who plays magic gets one and a half <laughs> <laughs> to share so, between all of them. Yeah, the residents just have a, rid- a ridic blue deck right now. You need to counter them. <laughs> they, can tr- they cast control magic on Jerry Brown. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so in summary, they've essentially, the Resnicks have built a multi-billion dollar empire on the backs of uh, Californians uh, getting out of the shower very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Every, yeah, make sure if you're listening to this, you know, 10 seconds is enough to wash your hands because the Resnicks need to make pistachio ice cream. (laughs) And I guess uh, unless there's anything else on the Resnicks, you know, this is... uh, we started this podcast uh, late January this year. It's been a it's been a great uh, success. It's been so much fun to do. I've learned so much doing this podcast this year. Like it's been very fascinating. Where like I started the year as I always do, thinking I know everything, and then I read a bunch of books and realized I was just like bullshitting for probably the first half of this year. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a lot of books about finance, about billionaires, about all this stuff, and you know. So I apologize. Uh, for the completely misinformed back catalog that I have left, that we have left for you, but I would encourage you. I I just want to thank all our listeners. We've had a wonderful year. We've gotten so much positive feedback on the podcast. We hope you're enjoying it, and we hope you know you'll check out if you're a new listener or you haven't checked through the back catalog. We've really put together a a small little encyclopedia on one slice of the billionaires. Uh, in this world, and we're going to continue doing that next year. So hit us up on Twitter at GrubstakersPod. Uh, give us feedback, suggestions for what you'd like to see in 2019, and uh, just thank you for listening. And uh, you know what? Get the fuck out of the shower. Also, I uh, started this podcast thinking I was pretty decent at guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and after a year, nobody's complained about our theme song. So it turns out I was right. <laughs> Anyway, we got a. Um, we're gonna do a little uh, bonus episode next week. A little musical bonus episode. Oh, yes. yeah, but otherwise, no, we're gonna be taking a, a break. No official episode. No official episode. But Andy Palmer has sat down and made you a Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa present, Hell or yeah. he will, <laughs> with the um, help of uh, one of our beautiful listeners. Mm-hmm. So I uh, look forward to that. And uh, with that, uh, I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. I'm uh, Sean McCarthy. Shout out to the San Joaquin Valley. Shout out to Fiji Water. And uh, we will see you in 2019 when hopefully all of your thirsts are quenched. Thanks for listening. Have a good new year. Bye-bye.